Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are in a week five of a, of a walk through the book of Nehemiah. And the reason I know we're in week five is because we're in chapter five. And we've been basically taking a, a week per chapter to talk about and and uh, we're talking about how God can restore and rebuild anything that is broken in our life. Because today, I'm not sure what you walked in today. If it's a broken relationship, if it's a broken family, a broken marriage, maybe there's something in your heart spiritually that just seems to be absent, that needs to be restored today. We serve a God, Jesus Christ, who can rebuild and restore anything and everything that's been broken in your life. And so the first week we talked about how, how in order to, for God to rebuild and restore, the first thing you need is you need to discover your purpose. We call that a holy ought. Second thing, if you're going to rebuild and restore your life, allow God to do that. You've got to take some steps of faith. That's what Nehemiah did. He took some steps and approached the king and said, hey, there's a hole in the wall. The wall is breaking down. Please send me to go, to go fix it. And so he, he took a step of faith. Then he got to the wall. He'd never been there before, 800 miles from where he was born and raised as a captive slave. He walks into Jerusalem, and he takes a spin around the city one night, and he realized this task is bigger than I ever imagined. Have you ever felt God called you to do something that's bigger than you? Let me tell you a secret. Anything God calls you to do is bigger than you. If it's not bigger than you, God didn't call you to it. Amen? He doesn't call us to do small things. Matter of fact, I'm pretty convinced there's no such thing as a small thing in the kingdom of God because they all make eternal impact. And so you learn how to deal with tasks that are bigger with Him. And then last week we talked about how do you deal with opposition from the outside. If you, list, if you missed last week's message, I challenge you to go back and, and listen to it or watch it on YouTube. But today I want to talk about what do you do when the opposition doesn't come from the outside of our life, but what do you do when the opposition comes from the inside? Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Some of the greatest spiritual sabotage that hits our life doesn't come from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy you. And if he can't get you from the outside in, he'll, be, he'll try to get you from the inside out. Whether it is counting, uh, causing you to doubt what God has said, whether it's causing you to make compromises that you know you shouldn't make. He is an expert at getting people to self-sabotage from the inside out. In Nehemiah chapter 5, I want to read it to you this morning. You can follow along with me on the screen. It says, now the men and their wives, this is God's people we're talking about raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Now, last week, they were nervous because, and they were upset because of what the enemy outside was threatening them with. But this side, this time, they're complaining and they're bothered about what's going on with their fellow Jews, people on the inside. Some of them were saying, we have... We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others are saying we have mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during this famine. Still others were saying we, are of this, uh, we have no money to pay for the king's tax and fields. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have subjected our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because of our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Let me just stop right there for this morning. 
Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for your goodness to us. And I pray this morning that the word of God will work in our hearts and will work in our lives. I pray the word of God would simply work in this place this morning. God, anoint me above my own ability to speak the words of God, the words of God alone. Anoint our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us. And we'll give you thanks for it. Everybody in the room said amen. amen. So last week, if you were here last week, we closed the service had a sword in one hand and a hammer in another, right? That's, that was a picture of what the people of God looked like. They had a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other, and they built the wall that was demolished in the rubble, and, they, and just in no time flat, they got it from non-existent to halfway there. I mean, just looking through Scripture, anyone watching them could tell that God was on their side. I want to tell you this morning, God is on your side. If you're doing the will of God and the work of God, if you're trying to honor Him, God is on your side. And so they are making progress. They're building, they're accomplishing, they're rebuilding, they're restoring. You could sense that God was helping them. And at the end of chapter 4, you would think there is nothing on the planet Earth that could stop them from accomplishing what God had called them to do. It was an exciting time to be serving God. But there's one thing, I didn't read all of chapter 5 to you, but there's one thing missing from chapter 5. You know, Nehemiah is a story about how God called Nehemiah to go back and what? Rebuild the wall. But you know what you can't find in chapter 5? Anything to do with the wall. You know what that lets us know? That the building had stopped. And what the enemy could not destroy from the outside in, he easily destroyed from the inside out. And some of us in this room, you have done great jobs fighting the enemy from the outside in. But yet you feel him plaguing you, attacking you, dividing you from the inside out. Listen, everything God is commanding and commissioning the people of God in that building was really not about the wall. It was about what God wanted to do inside the wall. Everything God is commissioning you to do about your life and rebuilding your life, restoring your life, the integrity of your life, but your, your commitment to following Christ, all of that is not just about the outward appearance. It's, it, is about the, it is about the awakening, the Spirit of God that He wants to pour in your life. But friends, He cannot pour in what you cannot contain. See, I've got, uh, some of you hear me talk about, I've got this certain love in my life for ice cream. Anybody got love for ice cream? Right? I mean, it's just wonderful. And I try to limit myself to about one stop a week at the ice cream place. Sometimes I fail and go three times, but sometimes I succeed and just go one time. And when I go to the ice cream place, I'm only thinking about one of two things. Which flavor shall I get today? Shall I get what the Lord really usually orders, you know, chocolate, custard with peanut butter sauce and peanut butter cups all blended together. I'm, that's what they serve in heaven. Or, do, or do, I, do, I, do I venture out and serve the next, get the next best thing, which is the key lime pie custard? I mean, it's just kind of like, which one am I going to do? But, but here, here's what I know. I, I'm never thinking, I, I never think about what are they going to serve it to me in. See, every time I go to one of those places, I know my ice cream is going to come in one of these are one of these, 
Hopefully something bigger than this if it's one of these. But it's going to be one of these or one of those. They don't charge you extra for it. It's just part of the deal. If you want the ice cream, if you want the good stuff, it's going to come in one of these. What am I saying? You can't get the good stuff without the proper structure to hold the good stuff. Amen. I don't ever go to, I don't ever go to Freddy's or Dairy Queen or TCBY and say, I would, like, I would like three scoops, please. Why? Because to put the good stuff in a bad structure, a non-existent structure, would be a waste. And I mean, like, God doesn't waste. So when God calls Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall, he's saying to Nehemiah, I want you to, I want you to form a structure, build a wall. It's broken right now, and if I wanted to pour some goodness into it, it couldn't hold it. It would be robbed by the enemy. But I want you to build a wall so that no matter how much of my glory and my goodness and my faithfulness I pour in there, it can be contained, and it can hold what I want it to hold, and then you can take it and pour it where I want it to pour it. It's about God wanting to be more in your life. And what the enemy can never stop from the outside in, he tried to destroy their structure from the inside out. I want to ask you this morning, is there something that's destroying you from the inside out? Now this morning, I'm going to mainly talk about division, because that's what would destroy the people of God from the inside out. But sin comes in all different forms and shapes and sizes, and it's all destructive. So I want to ask you this morning, is there something that is destroying the structure, the integrity of your life that God's asking you to do with, deal with this morning so He can rebuild and restore what's been broken or stolen by the enemy? And if we're going to allow and rebuild and restore, the first thing we have to understand is we have to recognize the agenda of division or the agenda of sin. Did you know that sin has an agenda? And the agenda of sin is not to make you feel good. The Bible says sin has pleasure for a season, but the end of it is not happily ever after. The end of it is death. But yet the enemy always, he always camouflages it. He always sells it to us and something's going to feel good, taste good, look good, be good. But all it ever delivers to us is destruction. And, and, this, and this moment, the, the, the sin that comes upon these people is the sin of division. Nehemiah is trying to get the body to, to work together, but yet times are hard. There's a famine in the land. They're in a recession they're in all these economic turmoil that's going on. And the people around them, the, the people who have taken them captive and live in their areas, they had been for decades. If one of God's people got in trouble, they would go to one of these people and they would say, hey, would you loan me some money? And they would loan them some money at, some, at a very absorbent interest rate. If he couldn't pay it, they would enslave their sons and daughters. Literally, they would take their sons and daughters as slaves and force them, and now they couldn't serve the purpose of God. They couldn't be with their family. It, it was making the people of God dispersed and, and turning what the people that God wanted to be free back into slaves. It was the division. And I want to tell you, division always has an agenda. Anytime there's a division, someone is, wanting, someone is losing, someone is losing. 
If there's a division in your family today, I will tell you right now, the enemy has an agenda for that division. If there's a division in your marriage, there's an agenda for that division. If there's a division in the church, there's an agenda. If there's a division in, their, in our country, there's an agenda. One, you know, one of, the, one of our founding fathers made this statement, you know, a couple centuries ago. He said, America will never be taken apart from the outside in. If it's ever destroyed, the United States will be destroyed because of division from the inside out. And I fear we're seeing that over and over again today. And so Nehemiah, he sees what's going on. He says, you are treating one another as if you were on, like you were not brothers and sisters. You're treating one another as if one is a stranger and one is, one is a friend. You're, you're tre- you're, you are enslaving one another. It's bringing division among you. You know, Jesus said this about division in the New Testament. He said, if you come to worship the Lord, if you wonder how big of a deal this is, he said, if you come to worship the Lord and you remember that you have ought or you have division between you and your brother, then the word says to what? To stop worshiping. Stopping your tracks. The moment you realize there's division between me and another believer, he says, leave your guilt at the altar and go make it right. And then come back and worship. Did you know division is so destructive, it actually robs you of your ability to worship God? Good. Preaching, Pastor. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you brought it up. It it robs us. Jesus goes on to say, well, well, Pastor, what if I I do have division between me and someone else, a family member, a church member, or whatever? You know, there's three antidotes in Matthew chapter 18 that, that the word speaks out to us. You know what the first one is? It says, go to the person. Not post it on Facebook. Not, not gather 16 people that believe the same way you do about it and run someone's name in the ground. It says what? Go to the person. Say that with me. Go to the person. Then it says, if the if the person, this is in the Bible, by the way, Matthew 18, says, if the person want, won't hear you, then go find two or three mature believers and take them with you to see the person again. And then if they still don't listen to you, then it says, go find some leadership, go find the church council and the church leaders, and then bring it before them. In other words, it says, deal with it publicly privately twice before you ever think about going public with it. Isn't that, isn't that completely opposite for how most people handle division today? Most time we go public, sometimes, sometimes you figure out that you got division between you and someone else only because you read social media or the newspaper. If you didn't know it, if you didn't read it somewhere else, you would never know. And the enemy has an agenda for that way of thinking. Listen, as long as we allow the division to exist, we are allowing the enemy's agenda to be accomplished instead of God's agenda. And I don't know about you, but I want God's agenda. Number two, Nehemiah says, if you want to be rebuilt and restored, second thing he reminds us of is we have to recognize the source of division. Verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, they raised an outcry against their fellow Jews. What does that mean? That means what was sabotaging, what was putting a stop to the work of God, 
what put a stop to the building process they were in, what built a stop to the restoration process they're in, was not an outside force. It was against their fellow Jews. It was an inside problem. James chapter 4 asks this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that wrestle, what does that say? From within you. Division doesn't just have an a, um, agenda, it has a source. And most of those sources could be identified with one word, selfishness. Right? And that what he says. Don't they come from selfish desires within you? You know, in 3 John, there's a, there's a guy mentioned there. I don't know if that's really his picture or not, but that's a statue somebody carved out that supposedly looked look like him. And his name is, what do y'all, how do you think you say his name? Yeah, that's how I thought too. And so, <laughs> and here's the sin of diopatry. Di- how do y'all say his name again? Can we just call him Big D? He's a big guy. Big D had one problem. What was it? He wanted to be first. Can we just can we can we take off our neckties for a minute? Not that many of us are wearing them, but can we just be real people for a moment? Does anyone besides me have a problem with selfishness sometimes? Okay, six of us. Man, the rest of y'all are so holy. Would you please pray for those six of us? Me and Corey and Megan, the rest of us lifted our hands. Just pray for us because we I I, I deal with selfishness big time. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll be, I'll, I mean, don't tell people I play golf with this, but sometimes I'll be playing golf and somebody's back there. I'm not even going to look over here this direction or that direction. Just trying to blind. Sometimes I'll be playing golf with somebody and they take 14 practice swings. And I'm just like, come on. I just, I just, I just got to go. I mean, I just, I can't. 14 practice swings is too many. I, I just, and, and every once in a while I feel the Holy Spirit say, go ahead, Big D. Go ahead and be first. Go ahead and just put yourself first. Here's the thing. Pastor, selfishness, I mean, are you really wasting a Sunday morning to talk about that? I mean, come on. That's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It just put a stop to what God wanted to do. That's it. Because here's the thing. When I put myself first, I'm putting God second. When I put myself first, I'm putting others second. And the Bible says I should love my neighbor just like I love myself. Second Corinthians, oh, sorry, Philippians chapter 2 says don't do anything out of selfish ambition or empty pride. But in humility, he says consider others better than yourself. Third this morning, Nehemiah, we're going to rebuild and restore. Third thing is you have to remember I recognize the power of your words. Why don't you turn, turn to your neighbor and tell them your words matter. Look at verse number six. I've been working on this. When I heard this Nehemiah talking, when I heard the, uh, their outcry and these charges, I was angry. Anybody get angry? Well, listen to what he did. And I pondered them in my mind. He thought before he spoke. What a, what a great idea. 
thinking before speaking. Nehemiah carefully considered how to respond. Can I tell you this morning, the more dire the situation, the more thinking you need to do before you speak. But yet, I've discovered a lot of times people act just the opposite. They'll say things, well, I was so angry, I just said, blah, 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 and they, have you, ever, have you ever regretted something you said in anger? Right? Okay. Only six of us are selfish, but a lot of us have said things that, that are, okay. All right. I'm starting to feel a little bit more at home. Um, you know, we, we've, and sometimes we, we do that. We get mad and we say things we don't mean. And then later someone else maybe calls us out on it and they'll say, well, you know, I felt this way because you said that way. And then we'll say things like this to defend ourselves. Well, I didn't mean it. I was just mad. Can I tell you this morning, if you're serious about rebuilding and restoring relationships and letting God rebuild and restore you, you have to understand your words matter. Heard a story of a dad whose son was just out of control with anger problems. I mean, he was just, some would get mad at the drop of a hat. Sometimes, sometimes he'd drop the hat on purpose. He'd just go off on people, say hurtful things to people. He just, oh, over. Oh, and finally, the dad just, the dad couldn't take it anymore. So he grabbed his son to the side and said, listen, every time you lose your temper, here's what I want you to do. And he gave the, the son a bag of nails and a hammer. Every time you lose your temper and say things you shouldn't say, I want you to take a nail and go drive it in the back of our fence. And we're going to see how many times, I want you to recognize how many times a day you're losing your temper. The first day the dad told the son to do that, the son lost his temper that day 37 times. So 37 times. You ever had one of those 37 times kind of day? 37 nails. Boom, 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 boom. And this process of having to go out to the fence and drive in a nail, it finally worked. Like it took several months, but he went from 37 times a day to finally he told his dad, he said, Dad, I didn't have to drive any nails in the fence today. The dad said, wonderful. Now we're going to change the rules. Every time you keep your temper, every time you go a whole day without saying something you shouldn't say in anger, you get to go out to the fence post and remove one nail from the fence. So that, how many know, I mean, he, 37 in one day, it took him more than 37 days to get them all, or it took, took weeks and months. And so months later, he came back to his dad and he said, Dad, I have, with God's help, man, I've been, I've been holding my temper, I've been controlling my tongue, and, and I finally, today, I pulled the last nail out of the fence. Dad said, that's wonderful. Go show it to me. So he walked him out there and he showed him to me. He said, look, Dad, they're all gone. The dad said, son, that is wonderful. Every nail is gone. That's awesome. But do you remember, do you realize something? The holes are still there. The scars are still there. And there's nothing you can do to heal the holes that you caused with your words every time you got angry. Sometimes we think, well, I was, I was mad, so what I said doesn't matter. I would say this, if the situation warrants you being upset, it warrants you doing what Nehemiah said, I'm going to ponder, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to speak because I'm about my life rebuilding and restoring what the enemy's broken and stolen from me. So everything I say out of my mouth is going to be towards that purpose, rebuilding and restoring. You know, the Word says life and death are in the power of your tongue. James chapter 1 says, If any of you think you're religious and does not bridle your tongue, you deceive yourselves, and your religion's worthless. 
pretty harsh, isn't it? But if we really want God to rebuild and restore in us, if we really want the structure of our life to be intact so He can pour in everything He has for us, we have to understand our words matter. Fourth, this morning, Nehemiah, how did he bring restoration to this division? He stuck to the word. He said to them, what you're doing isn't right. You're enslaving one another. You're extorting one another. You're treating one another just like those who are not believers, who are not God followers, who are not of God's people. You're treating each other the same way that they treat each other. You're treating each other like the enemy treats you. And Nehemiah says this, this is not right. Well, why isn't it right? It's definitely normal. It was the normal way of conducting business. It was the normal way people treated each other. It was the normal way people made a living and extorted one another. It was, it was normal for their culture, but Nehemiah wasn't judging what was going on by what was normal in the culture. He, was, he decided what was appropriate was by what God's Word said. That was a great place for more than three people to say amen. Because, friends, I don't care what the world says is normal. Matter of fact, the New Testament believers, they were accused of being the opposite of normal. They said those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. We don't need to evaluate what the world says is normal. We need to decide what is the word say is relevant to my life today. See, it's still the word that's a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It's still the word that the psalmist said, I can hide in my heart and when, I, when, when I'm face to face with sin, it's going to help me resist what the devil wants to destroy me with. Nehemiah, when he had a, had a moment to bring restoration and rebuilding, what he chose to stick to was the word. You and I must too. Number five, Megan, if you want to come. The fifth thing to bring restoration and restorals, we have to realize that there's a cost for not responding to the Word of God. I love preaching, shout me down, happy messages. This point isn't really that one. There is a, listen to what Nehemiah said. He told him what to do. He said, Stop it. Stop extorting one another. Stop robbing from each other. Stop enslaving each other. But then he said this, verse number 13. I also shook out the folds of my robe. And in this way, may God shake out of their house and possession anyone that does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. Now, I know I'm talking to people who are coming to church in the summertime. You know, you're, 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 I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Let me preach to you a little bit more. Too many people believe like obedience to, believe obedience to God is the best option. Obedience to God is not the best option. It's the only option for a believer. And the Lord says, either you let me shake you up and change you, 
or I will shake you out. Pastor, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like there's a lot of grace in that. Oh yeah, there's grace in it. Titus says, the grace that sets you free will also teach you to say no. He's letting the people of God, it doesn't matter if you think what you have a right to do, what others are doing. It doesn't matter whether you think this sin is a big deal or a small deal. If it's a big deal to God, it has to be a big deal to us. Nehemiah says, don't excuse it. Don't blow it off. He says, deal with it before God deals with you. And these nobles, I'm not sure, have you, have you noticed these nobles in the book of Nehemiah? I mean, they, they were brought up, I think it's in chapter 3, everyone else was working and they wouldn't put their shoulders to the task, they weren't working. Now they're extorting one another. I mean, you'd think these guys would get their act together. And they finally do. The minute Nehemiah said, either you let God shake you up or God will shake you out. The minute Nehemiah said that to those guys, they responded with repentance. They said, you know what, we're going to give it back. And we will not demand anything else from them. We will do as you say. Because this morning God is dealing with you. And you've been hesitant to respond to the word of God. I would just challenge you to follow the example of these guys. It's the last few weeks we haven't been following their example because they've been doing the wrong thing. They finally do the right thing. They repent. How many know what repent means? It means you turn away. They had been extorting people. They said, no more. Then they slammed the door to their past. They said, not only are we not going that way anymore, we're not going back that way. And then they moved on. They said, we're, instead of doing what we used to do, we're going to do what God says. I want to ask you about your heads this morning because Jesus can give you the power to slam the door in your past. Jesus has a better life for you to move on. Jesus is serious about us as a church and us as individuals building the wall of our lives and building the structure of our church and building families that are families of integrity. Why? Because he wants, to look, wants us to look a certain way? No. Because he's, he doesn't want you stolen from by the enemy and he wants to fill you with his presence. He wants you to be able to contain what he wants to pour in. But selfishness and division can stop that work. It stopped it in Nehemiah chapter 5, and it can stop it in our life as well. But we're going to learn next week that once they dealt with the division, once they dealt with the sin in their heart, God completed the task. They finished building the wall within 52 days. It couldn't be done for... For decades and decades, the people of God did in 52 days because they said, we're not going to let the enemy set up shop in our house. We're, gonna let, we're not going to let what others think is normal become normal for us. We're going to stick to the word. We're going to stick to what God says to do. And they repented and they moved on. And believer, I want to ask you today, has the enemy who could not destroy you from the outside in, has he started destroying you from the inside out? We will either repent from our sins or we will repeat our sins. That's, that's true for me, just like it's true for everyone else. We repeat what we don't repent of. And today you say, Pastor, I sense that the, the enemy has been destroying me, not necessarily from the outside in, but from the inside out. And today I need to repent of that 
And I need to move on with God. I need to release it and move on. I need to repent and move on. If that's you today, we should just hand real quick. So that's me, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you, call you forward, but you say, amen, 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 all across this room. Amen. Listen, look, let's, some of us in this room, the reason this message is so hard is because some of us are experts at defeating the enemy from the outside in. But we're kind of weak defend, defending ourselves and defeating him from the inside out. Because we, some things we say, well, they're not that big of a deal. We, under, we really know in our spirit they are big deals. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for every person who lifted their hand. Secondly today, this, that first call was sort of to believers, people who know what they ought to be doing but have allowed things to keep them from doing it. But here's the second question. I want to make sure there may be someone in this room today who's far from God. Maybe you've never started following Jesus. I understand today may not have been the most inviting day to start following Jesus. But despite the subject matter, you just sense the Spirit of God tugging on your heart, saying, man, I need something more poured into my life. I'm tired of being a victim of the world system. I'm tired of being a victim of, uh, I just feel like the, the enemy's always killing, still and destroying for me. Listen, Jesus came that you can have life and life to the full. And if you're not following Jesus today, maybe you've never started following Jesus, but today, say, today's my day. I need to start following Jesus I would love to lead you in a prayer in just a minute that can start that journey. If that's you today, we should lift a hand real quick. Pray for me, Pastor. I need to start that journey. Amen? Amen. So here, I want to pray over that issue first. Three or four hands were raised. First John reminds us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from everything that's not right. So if you've never started following Jesus, I'm here to tell you that God sent his son Jesus that you can have life and life to the full, life abundant. And repeating a prayer from a preacher never changed anyone. But saying a prayer from your heart can change everyone, if you'll mean it. So today I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer, but this is not a prayer that you can just say and say, well, I said the right thing at the right time. No, no, no. You, it's got to be a commitment. It's got to be a life change. So I want to lead you in this prayer. I want to ask the whole congregation to pray this with me, with those who are praying it perhaps for the very first time. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to earth and giving your life for me. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you lived a perfect life. You died a sacrificial death. And you rose again on the third day. And you're alive today. And you're alive to save me. You're alive to heal me. You're alive to deliver me. Deliver me from my past. And deliver me to a brand new future. From this day forward, I'm going to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. From this moment on, I'm not my own. I belong to Jesus. From this moment on, I'm going to follow Jesus. From this moment on, if Jesus says to do it, I'm going to do it. If the Bible says to do it, I'm going to do it. If the Bible says it's evil, 
then I'm going to stay away from it. Because in this moment, I've passed from death to life. I've gone from sinner to saint because Jesus loves me. And I've decided I'm going to love him and live my life from him, for him from this moment forward. In Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand clap with those who are giving life to Jesus today? Would you stand with me this morning all across this room? I said this Wednesday night, and I want to say it again. What God has for you and your family, what God wants to do in your life and in this church, what God wants to do in your home, what God wants to do you, through you on your job site, is too valuable to self-sabotage. And after you've done such an excellent job defeating the enemy from the outside in, Let's give him an eviction notice. He's not going to live and work from the, outside, from the inside out either. Amen? Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.